0: Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast,
1: a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges,
0: and joy in ministry today.
1: These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across
0: the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative. Over the last five years, one of the happy opportunities I've had is to get to know friend and colleague, Heath Carter, who is now teaching at Princeton Theological Seminary. Hey, Heath, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Great to be with you. You too. Uh, Describe what you do. (laughs) Sure, sure.
1: I'm a historian. I teach and write about Christianity in the modern United States, really especially interested in christianity and public life i you know and then here at the seminary i also am chair of the history department and chair of our doctoral program so training both master students and doctoral students for leadership in church and society
0: and i know you taught for a long time at valparaiso university what's mm-hmm. the difference oh, good in your experience between teaching at a university and a seminary yeah
1: so many differences that are not only running down that axis of kind of the university seminary difference, but also regional differences and differences in the types of students that we tend to attract. I mean, at Valpo, uh, I taught there for seven years. I loved it. Important regional university, important national university for Lutherans. That's a place that, you know, where the students tend to come from more conservative backgrounds. And as a historian of the modern United States, I was sort of interested in sort of trying to introduce them to critical perspectives on the U.S. and its life and history. Here at PTS, a lot of our students, especially kind of our most vocal students, are really progressive and really eager to get involved in social activism and whatnot. Some of them are so progressive, though, that they're also kind of disenchanted or, you know, can even run a little cynical. And so sometimes here I find myself teaching history, trying to kind of reenchant a Uh little bit to kind of see what's possible and to see how... You know, we as even individuals can contribute to a better church and a better world.
0: As a historian, re-enchant, how do you do that? What's your approach with that? Well, I think sometimes I find, you know, in my previous context,
1: I felt like my obligation was, in many cases, genuinely for the first time to introduce students to critical perspectives here not every student but most of my students are very well acquainted with critical perspectives so i think about you know there's this book i taught a couple of years ago that looks at kind of labor activism and ministers and the new deal era and i zoomed in on this radical preacher who got his start in the south and then came to a moment of discernment where he had to decide, and he was counseled by a professor of Vanderbilt Divinity, who said, you know, don't leave the church. He was talking to this pastor, Claude Williams, the Presbyterian pastor, he said, don't leave the church, Claude. I know the church is more conservative than you are, but if you stick within the church, you're gonna be able to move the people. Whereas if you leave the church, you can be as radical as you want, but you're not gonna bring the people with you. Yeah. And so confronting students with kind of the little moments like that, and mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is a historical, actor and a historical situation, but it's not so different from some of the questions that my students are wrestling with today. And so I want them to really wrestle with, maybe are there some reasons to stick with an institution that you don't always agree with? Those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, And that seems to be hand in glove with your work on Christianity in the modern United States, because those Mm. issues are front and center. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. When you said that, my first thought was to go, Wow, is there a Christianity in the modern United States? Mm. But given mm. all we know about the last particularly sixty to seventy years yeah. of what's going on culturally, where do you see traction for active Christian faith in the modern United States?
1: Mm. Well, I mean, it really varies by the community, the region. I think there's parts of the country where Christianity is still very much the corner of the realm in public debate. And sometimes that, as we well know, over the last season has been really deeply troubling. There's different kinds of Christianities in the United States, and some of them have a lot of traction. And we've seen that, obviously, in election after national election in recent years, that some Christians have an understanding of their faith that leads them into the voting booth in a particular way. Obviously this has been a, a really hard season for mainline churches, which are scrambling to kind of find their identity, their voice in the public square. It's a very different scene than it was a generation or two ago. That's probably why I like to be at the seminary here is because we're really thinking a lot about those questions of what the mainline church's role might be. But yeah, less confidence there than you have in a lot of evangelical, white evangelical circles where there seems to still be a kind of robust confidence in what faith might lead one to do in the public square.
0: Yeah. To your point, though, Heath, it seems to me that in large measure in the modern United States, religious viewpoints are talking past each other Mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. And I know you spent some time this past fall working with polarization in the public square as well as the religious sphere. Could you say a little bit about that work?
1: Yeah. This year at the seminary, I've been convening this series on the future of American democracy with a, a lot of attention to faith, but also broader than that. And In the fall we really tackled this question of polarization we know politically americans you know it's not totally unprecedented we fought a civil war but at the same time politically these days americans are increasingly likely to look at folks that they disagree with as not just wrong, but as like serious threats to the national well-being. Americans are shopping in different places from people they disagree with. They're worshiping in different places than people they disagree with. There's, there's a way in which there's kind of a deep cleaving within the social fabric. So this fall, a lot of time thinking about this question about the way that it affects churches. Churches were not that long ago places where, at least politically, people did come together across lines of difference oftentimes in a way that is increasingly less likely today. And the consequences of that are profound, in part because what we know is that most people don't make up their minds about any given issue or about their politics in general based on all the books that they've read. (laughs) They make up their mind based on the people that they know, the common sense of their community. And so, I mean, one worry that one could have, no matter where one falls on the political spectrum, is that as we come apart, in a very literal sense, but also in a deeper sense, we don't hear the voices of those that we disagree with. And that's how people change their minds. And uh, I interviewed a guy in the fall, Anand uh, Jared Haradas, who wrote his book called The Persuaders. And he's he's a person on the left, and he's really concerned about the ways in which, on the left, there's a tendency to sort of write people off that don't agree about everything. And, and I was really convinced by the book and the conversation that, that's a real danger. And it's kind of shooting oneself in the foot in the sense that if you want to change people's minds, you got to stick in the conversation with them.
0: That's one thing that we at the Ministry of Collaborative are trying to encourage to our cohorts that Mm. we don't want to be the only place, but we want to be one of the places in culture that is seeking to partner with others to Mm. reweave the totally ripped up social fabric. Mm. And we've got a lot of willing participants in trying to work on that. And we find it's really hard because it means all of us are going to have to give up something Mm -hmm. that is dear to us, or if not give it up, at least be open, as you're saying, to listen and reconsider. And while that's hard, when almost everyone seems to be rushing to the barricades.
1: It's really hard. And I think it happens best and easiest, definitely not on social media, but it happens. It can happen. I mean, I both have found this just through my own work with churches um, and then through these conversations that there are local contexts in which this is happening and in which churches are finding ways to do this. And sometimes that can run into another kind of danger, I think, which is churches are get really preoccupied with just avoiding conflict. We keep everybody together, people who disagree, by not talking about anything that they disagree about. And that's another danger that I think we can run into, you know, as we are all in the same room, but we aren't able to actually have meaningful conversation. I mean, part of what I I think and and really hope is that churches can be places where people can find ways to live with others alongside others that they disagree with, and even in the middle of hard conversations,
0: find ways to stick together. I think you're right, Heath, and I think that's always been true. I think maybe a a newer or at least more heightened sense of that is, though, now when there's conflict, the pastors are the first person who gets hammered for it. Yeah, They're the little rag tied in the middle of the rope in a tug-of-war battle. I know the
1: pandemic has been a chief example of that for a lot of pastors it
0: has and and my view is that that just accelerated and revealed the tensions that were already there Mm. but probably put them a little bit i mean it's never easy to enter into conflict Mm. in a congregation as a pastor but when you know you're going to pay Mm. as one pastor said to me not long ago It was a 10 cent conflict and Mm -hmm. I got a dollar's worth of grief. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's it's really hard, but necessary. I mean, absolutely it's necessary. I mean, let's face it. There's no growth without some conflict. Yeah. But we don't have good models right now. A lot of your work as a historian of religion has been in labor movements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was struck three or four or five months ago, Gallup came out with a survey that was pretty depressing. It was a year over year, 2021 to 2022 Mm. tracking of the trust in American institutions. Mm. Everything from the military to big tech, to banks, to churches, to labor unions. Every single institution in American life declined Mm. Mm -hmm. except for labor unions and they held even. They were at zero, but that was the winner in that what's your sense of that? And then a broader question, what's your sense of how labor unions relate to Christian faith and Christian community?
1: Yeah. I've done a lot of writing about kind of an earlier era, about a hundred years ago, when there were just really strong ties between Christian churches and labor, and there were widely shared moral intuitions that the laborer was worthy of their hire, that God was on the side of the little person, and that the church has had a moral obligation to be involved in that fight for a variety of reasons that, you know, we don't have time to get into. Those intuitions have waned and we've been you know, shaped over the last generation by a kind of gospel of free enterprise that saw no place for labor to the point where when I was teaching, especially at Valpo, you know, my students would come into my classroom and have no idea that there might, what would those connections even be? We're at a very interesting moment right now. And I think younger generations, millennials, you know, Gen Z and the folks coming even behind them are coming into an economy that is the rise of the gig economy, the decline of kind of widely available corporate benefits that really, you know, were really key, obviously, for my grandparents' generation and folks coming out of the post-war period. That world is disappearing. And so I think there's a huge question right now of what's coming and what are the churches going to have to say? I mean, I always so younger generations are very anxious about their economic futures. And we know that they have good reason to be because the likeliest outcome is that their outcomes are going to be worse than their parents, which are worse than their grandparents. You know, there's a lot of anxiety right now, too, about the rise of the nuns and the ways in which those same folks who are very anxious about their economic futures are uncertain, mistrustful, not attached to church institutions in the ways that their parents and grandparents were. For good reasons. Yeah, for a variety of really important reasons. And I think I've seen these two issues, Christian witness on economic questions, and the nuns, and the future of the nuns, which remains very uncertain, as being linked. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the churches have got to figure out what exactly it is that they have to say about the shape of a just economy in this different world it's a very different world than the the world that detroit auto workers helped to shape I and mean, we, we just live in a different time a different space and no one really knows what's coming but i do think mm-hmm. young people as they grow up whether or not they're going to come back to church may be tied very much to the whether the churches can recover their teaching on questions
0: of the moral economy heath what you just said goes in so many different directions i'm yeah. going to ask a simple question that i know has a complex answer Given that these movements and this sort of moral imperative was sort of part and parcel of Christian community and now is seen as an outlier, Mm -hmm. what changed?
1: Yeah, it's a huge question. A couple big factors. I'll just give you two big factors. I mean, one is there was a lot of investment, to be honest, on the part of corporate actors in the mid-20th century in the Cold War era to literally fund churches and parachurch organizations that were fighting against labor and fighting against the New Deal and fighting against this kind of, there's a way in which the FDR crowd, the FDR cabinet saw the New Deal as an outworking of kind of Christian social teaching. Mm -hmm. There's just no question about that. And then there's a a backlash against it, a well-funded backlash against it, and that has enduring ramifications. The other big thing is that labor by the, the mid 20th century becomes deeply interracial. And it's interracial quality gave a lot of pause to even white Democrats, especially in the South, but all over the country who saw labor as destabilizing kind of the racial politics of the country. And those two factors play a huge role in unsettling kind of the moral intuitions of an earlier era.
0: I appreciate you saying that. As someone who went through seminary, I never heard that narrative. Yeah, That was just the received world. And I I appreciate you saying it out loud in -hmm. ways that we need to recover and understand. Obviously, there are other perspectives, but it needs to not be ignored. I am grateful that someone like you with your expansive energy and insight Mm -hmm. is teaching at an institution that is geared toward preparing Mm. at least some of its students Mm -hmm. for parish ministry. What are you seeing in that field as you, as well as your colleagues, try to equip future pastors for this work?
1: We have phenomenal students here at Princeton Seminary. They are a remarkably diverse bunch coming from increasingly all over the world all over the theological map of the world, by the way. And that's fascinating and challenging. And I think also a real gift of this place is that we do have that kind of diversity theologically and otherwise. The thing that I think is really interesting and really part of what I've been so excited about in coming to Princeton Seminary at this moment is this place has worked for a long time. And certainly since the post-war revival is, you know we prepare Presbyterian pastors for the elite Presbyterian churches across the country. That thing is really going away, and it's going away in, in various kinds of ways. It's going away in the sense that those churches are changing, and yeah, there's a lot to actually see this as a kind of historic, interesting moment of opportunity. And part of what I I've really enjoyed coming in here, these big questions about what's the future of the mainline, what's the future of clergy, what's the future of these churches and whatnot. I mean. Those are huge questions. I'm super interested in them. I, a lot of my work touches on them, but I'm not equipped to answer them myself. But I've come in here right now at a moment where we have a new generation of faculty that is really collectively interested in those questions. And we've got students who are coming in and who are teaching us. We've got older students, we've got you know, students kind of across the career timeline and who are bringing experiences. They go out into the world after leaving here. We stay in touch and we're learning from them a lot about the ways that the landscape is changing. So I don't have a, a hard and fast answer about sort of what's the future of the mainline going to look like. But I can tell you this is a place where those questions are being asked in a really interesting, exciting way, and I, I'm excited about what's to come. It's not a not a downer moment from my perspective here.
0: I don't think it's a downer moment anywhere, even though it may look like that for some. And I've got to say, working in an organization now that resources pastors from at least 23 denominations as well as non-denominational churches. The questions are slightly different Mm. based on theological and religious location, but they're basically the same questions. This is no one has a corner on the market of anxiety about the future, which I think is a great opportunity for God. Mm. Keith, in your own personal spirituality, what is a Mm. scripture text that is holding you up right now?
1: Mm. It's a great question. Uh, I think in the last little while, I've thought a lot about Matthew 5 and kind of the call to be salt and light. And I think about, you know, folks like Fannie Lou Hamer, who in earlier moments, really tough times, were singing This Little Light of Mine and making it a, a civil rights anthem. And you know, this has been an over a season of kind of overwhelming change, overwhelming worry, even, you know, kind of the, the title of my series, on The Future of American Democracies titled that way because there's a lot of anxiety, right? And I think about this biblical call to be salt and light and to to let your little light shine and, and who knows what God may do with it. So I've been holding on to that.
0: Fabulous. He, thank you so much. And as the only podcast guest who lives next door to the house that Albert Einstein inhabited (laughs) until his death, you are a notable guest. I deeply appreciate your work. I deeply appreciate your calling to this. I would commend all your work to those who are listening to this to take a deeper dive into things I've made you summarize in a couple sentences. But thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation.
1: The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities.
0: Our producer is Marthane Sanders.
1: To find out more about our
0: work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.